James Harriet, All Creatures Great and Small. We're going to read chapter four tonight. That uh, was published by St. Martin's Press in 1972. So here we go. Chapter four. We'll go a different way. Farnan leaned over the driving wheel and whipped or wiped the cracked windscreen with his sleeve. Over the Breakstone Pass and down Sildale, it's not much farther, and I'd like you to see it. We took a steep, winding road, climbing higher and still higher, with the hillside falling away sheer to a dark ravine, where a rocky stream rushed headlong to the gentler country below. On the top, we got out of the car. In the summer dusk, a wild panorama of tumbling fells and peaks rolled away and lost itself in the crimson and gold ribbons of the western sky. To the east, a black mountain overhung us, menacing in its naked bulk. Huge, square-cut boulders littered the lower slopes. I whistled softly as I looked around. This was different from the hill, friendly hill country I had seen on the approach to Darrowby. Farnan turned towards me. Yes, one of the wildest spots in England. A fearsome place in winter. I've known this pass to be blocked for weeks on end. I pulled the clean air deeply into my lungs. Nothing stirred in the vastness, but a curlew cried faintly, and I could just hear the distant roar of the torrent a thousand feet below. It was dark when we got into the car and started the long descent into Sildale. The valley was a shapeless blur, but points of light showed where the lonely farms clung to the hillsides. We came to a silent village, and Farnan applied his brakes violently. I tobogganed effortlessly across the floor on my mobile seat and collided with the windscreen. My head made a ringing sound against the glass, but Farnan didn't seem to notice. There's a grand little pub here. Let's go in and have a beer. The pub was something new to me. It was, simply, a large kitchen, square and stone-flagged, an enormous fireplace, and an old black cooking range took up one end. A kettle stood on the hearth, and a single large log hissed and crackled, filling the room with its resinous scent. About a dozen men sat on the high-backed settles, which lined the walls. In front of them, rows of pint mugs rested on oak tables, which were fissured and twisted with age. There was a silence as we went in. Then somebody said, Now then, Mr. Farnan! Not enthusiastically, but politely, and this brought some friendly grunts and nods from the company. They were mostly farmers or farm workers, taking their pleasure without fuss or excitement. Most were burnt red by the sun, and some of the younger ones were tieless, muscular necks, and chests showing through open shirt fronts. Soft murmurs and clicks rose from a peaceful domino game in the corner. Farnan guided me to a seat, ordered two beers, and turned to face me. Well, you can add this job if you want it. Four quid a week and full board, okay? The suddenness struck me silent. I was in. And four pounds a week. Remember, I remember the pathetic entries in the record. Veterinary surgeon, fully experienced, will work for keep. The BVMA had had to put pressure on the editor to stop him printing these cries from the heart. It hadn't looked so good to see members of the profession offering the services free. Four pounds a week was affluence. Thank you, I said, trying hard not to look triumphant. I accept. Good. Farnan took a hasty gulp at his beer. Let me tell you about the practice. I bought it a year ago from an old man of 80. Still practicing, mind you. A real tough old character. But he'd got past getting up in the middle of the night, which isn't surprising. And of course, in lots of other ways, he had let things slide. Hanging on to all the old ideas. Some of those ancient instruments in the surgery were his. 
One way and another, there was hardly any practice left, and I'm work, trying to work it up again now. There's very little profit in it so far, but if we stick to it for a few years, I'm confident we'll have a good business. The farmers are pleased to see a younger man taking over, and they welcome new treatments and operations. But I'm having to educate them out of the three and six pence consulting fee the old chap used to charge, and it's been a hard slog. These Dalesmen are wonderful people, and you like them. But they don't like parting with their brass unless you can prove that they are getting something in return. He talked on enthusiastically of his plans for the future. The drinks kept coming and the atmosphere in the pub thawed steadily. The place filled up as the regulars from the village streamed in. The noise and heat increased. And by near closing time, I had got separated from my colleague and was in the middle of a laughing group I seemed to have known for years. But there was one odd character who swam repeatedly into my field of vision. An elderly little man with a soiled white Panama perched up above a smooth brown time-worn face like an old boot he was dodging around the edge of the group beckoning and winking i could see there was something on his mind so i broke away and allowed myself to be led to a seat in the corner the old man sat opposite me rested his hands and chin on the handle of his walking stick and regarded me from under drooping eyelids now then young man i've somewhat to tell thee i've been amongst beasts all me life and i'm gonna tell that summit my toes began to curl. I had been caught this way before. Early in my college career, I had discovered that all the older inhabitants of the agricultural world seemed to have the idea that they had something priceless to impart. And it usually took a long time. I looked around me in alarm, but I was trapped. The old man shuffled his hair chair closer and began to talk in a conspiratorial whisper. Gusts of beery breath hit my face from six inches range. There was nothing new about the old man's tale just the usual recital of miraculous cures he had wrought, infallible remedies known only to himself, and many little sidetracks about how unscrupulous people had tried in vain to worm his secrets from him. He paused only to take expert pulls at his pint pot. His tiny frame seemed to be able to accommodate a surprising amount of beer. But he was enjoying himself, and I let him ramble on. In fact, I encouraged him by expressing amazement and admiration at his feats. The little man had never had such an audience. He was a retired smallholder, and it had been years since anybody had shown him the appreciation he deserved. His face wore a lopsided leer, and his swimmy eyes were alight with friendship. But suddenly he became serious and sat up straight. Now, afore ye go, young man, I'm going to tell thee summit nobody knows but me. I could have made a lot of money out of this. Folks have been after me for years to tell them, but I never have. He lowered the level in his glass by several inches, then narrowed his eyes to slits. It's the cure for malenders and cylinders in osses. I started up on my chair as though the roof had begun to fall in. You can't mean, I gasped, not malenders and cylinders. The old man looked smug. Ah, uh, but I do mean it. All you have to do is rub on this salve of mine and the os walks away sound. He's better by that. His voice rode to a thin shout, and he made a violent gesture with his arm, which swept his entire nearly empty glass to the floor. I gave a low, incredulous whistle and ordered another pint. And you're really going to tell me the name of the salve, I whispered. I am, young man, but only on one condition. Thou must tell no one. Thou must keep it to thyself. Then nobody will know but thee and me. He effortlessly tipped half of his fresh pint down his throat. 
Just thee and me, lad. All right, I promise you, I'll not tell a soul. Now, what is this wonderful stuff? The old man looked furtively round the crowded room. Then he took a deep breath, laid his hand on my shoulder, and put his lips close to my ear. He hiccuped once, solemnly, and spoke in a hoarse whisper. Marshmallow ointment! I grasped his hand and wrung it silently. The old man, deeply moved, spilled most of his final half-pint down his chin. But Farnan was making signals from the door. It was time to go. We surged out with our new friends, making a little island of noise and light in the quiet village street. A tow-haired young fellow in shirt sleeves opened the car door with natural courtesy, and waving a final goodnight, I plunged in. This time, the seat went over quicker than usual, and I hurtled backwards, coming to rest with my head among some Wellingtons and my knees tucked underneath my chin. A row of surprised faces peered in at me through the back window, but soon, willing hands were helping me up, and the trick seat was placed upright on its rockers again. I wondered how long it had been like that, and if my employer had ever thought of having it fixed. We roared off into the darkness, and I looked back at the waving group. I could see the little man, his Panama gleaming like new in the light from the doorway. He was holding his fingers to his lips. That's the end of chapter four, and I love you guys. Have a great day. Bye.